0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, Maddie Treats, the Educator of Excellence, and the Masked Library, collectively known as the House Show, and they proudly present to you this house show extra welcome everyone to another edition of the house show it is me your host mr maddie treats and with me as always are my trios tag team champions my partners in crime to my left it is the educator of excellence educator how are you doing today
1: not too bad. I'm actually looking forward to talking about this show. Uh, this is actually the first time I have seen this show. I'm actually grateful that it was, it was fully on the network itself. i had always uh, remember hearing stories growing up in 91, 92 about the, this infamous Battle Royal and uh, the winner uh, winning the trophy and so on and... So I'm actually the opportunity to go and take a look, not only at the actual Battle Royal, but all the matches prior, um, oh man, old school to its greatest and two amazing commentators working together. It was a, it was a great watch. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, talking about this and interested in your guys's feedback.
0: Yeah. Uh, this really is a special episode of the house show because this is our first, um, episode where we're not covering an in your house. Um, unless you include that NXT in your house, but still, that's it in your house. In your house takeover, uh, of course, you know we had Kron Meltzer for that. But we are here, just the three of us, to cover uh, the battle royal at the Royal Albert Hall, and um, there's actually a reason we're doing this show. Um, so I'm going to pass that over uh, to Mister Hellions, uh, Kevin. Why don't you explain why this one was chosen? And, uh, you know, uh, why we're here today.
2: So as the world's favorite retro wrestling podcast, we receive received uh, compliments and feedback and all, all sorts of things from across the world. The head of the retro network, well, one of the heads of the retro network, uh, Jason, informed me that we had a listener ask our opinions of the battle royal at the Royal Albert Hall. And if we'd be interested in reviewing it, watching it, just throwing something out there. Once I brought it to our trio's brain trust here and realized none of us have watched it, I thought, well, this could be fun just you know to watch a, a classic show nearly 30 years old that none of us have seen before and give some commentary on it. And really, and, and we'll get into it as we review the show, I think it's a hidden gem of wrestling. And it's also a hidden gem of the WWE network because it is a pain in the butt to find. It is on a it's in a box underneath a table in the closet in the back room of the WWE network. And they didn't give you a flashlight to find it.
0: Yeah, when I was trying to find this, I um went to the categories, I went to pay-per-views, retired pay-per-views, events, originals. I literally could not find this. I had to use the search tool, and then even there. Battle Royal, Royal Albert Hall. I'm getting like no hits whatsoever, or I'm getting individual matches. Um, Finally, I just clicked on a match and then restarted the entire entire event because that's just the easiest way to find it. Uh, One of the other reasons too we wanted to come together is we know that um, we're celebrating the one year anniversary of the Retro Network. Of course, Retro Network has been nice enough to let us on. Uh, their network let us uh, basically come together every week and talk retro wrestling uh, so we wanted to say happy anniversary to them um, and then we kind of wanted to to get right into the event because this was a, a long event okay <laughs> um, a couple things too is on the actual WWE network feed it does says is presented in the most complete form. And that there were technical difficulties. Um, I'm not sure what those are. Uh, There really isn't much. At least I couldn't find much on the event itself. Uh, just kind of going through, uh, looking at Wikipedia and Google searches and stuff like that. Uh, did you guys find anything on what those technical difficulties may have been, or you know, is it a is it a beware of dog situation, where the power went out or something? I mean, um, there's a lot of weird edits in here and throwing to uh, you know, Mean Gene, and then going to commercial. Um, and then coming back and just doing one Mean Gene interview, then going back to commercial. Um, do you guys know, were these matches out of order by any chance or anything like that? Um, what did you guys find?
1: In my searches, I couldn't find anything either. I have, it comes off as if this was like presented live. I don't know. I don't know if it was an actual pay-per-view for Europe. I don't believe it was. But almost as if it was presented live on uh sky sports one or something like that like you know in the united states there would be uh madison square garden network episodes uh like their monthly shows at the garden they would eventually end up like watchable on tv and just the cuts to the commercials and so on made it really seem like it was broadcast at some point on television for viewership rather than maybe a home video release uh did you find anything in your research
2: Nothing. The best that I can come up with, the same as you, it looks like it was on Sky Sports or one of their their cable. It's not cable. You, you know, British TV is weird anyways. But one, their, one of their sports-based channels probably had a lot of commercials in between, which they do not have the rights to rebroadcast as part of WWE Network. So you'd have to edit that out. I also think this was not the original presentation because even minus commercials probably would have been like a four-hour event when it originally aired. I'm guessing that everything that they filmed they had their raw footage of but they didn't have a recording of how the event went straight through to the people of England when this originally aired. I'm thinking of it like a like a Tuesday night titans. You know Bobby and Gorilla are sitting there. They say okay, we're going to talk about this match and then this match and then tomorrow we'll come back and we'll do a little skit and then you know in 3 days we'll come back and we'll talk about more matches but all of that's edited together into one seamless show. So all that raw footage would still exist, but maybe the you know straight two hours of everything edited together where we're going to have this match and then this interview and then this skit outside of the building, then back to this match. Maybe they didn't have that feed still anymore, so they had to like recut it. That's my best guess. Because the edits are, it's not bad. It's not like it's unwatchable or anything, but it's very weird editing on there.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I thought this event, um, I-, I guess the one event we could probably compare it to is Beware of Dog just because of the technical difficulties Beware of Dog had. And to me, this one fl- um, had a better flow to it than Beware of Dog. Just yeah. Even with all the kind of weird edits and stuff like that, I thought they did a good job um, um, putting it together. It was on Sky Movies Plus. Uh, which to me it's a, it's a paid movie channel so I'm gonna guess it that's kind of like HBO over here um, and what looks like it was broadcasted on there um, it says it was later re- you know released on VHS and DVD and didn't become available on the WWE network until February 5th 2018 so was that four years after the WWE network launched they they decided to, to put this on. Um, but why don't we get right into it and let's just go right through. And of course we're covering the WWE, uh, network version of it. So, so we'll go right into it. And uh, we are in London, England on October 3rd, 1991. And we're at the Royal Albert Hall with an attendance of about 5,000 people. Uh, You know, we get a great early 90s wrestling intro video, uh, just fantastic nostalgia coming through. I thought it looked great. And then our commentators for this, as um, you know, the uh, educator mentioned, a great. Great, great commentary team and really just made this whole event so much better uh was Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh the chemistry these two had off the charts. Absolutely. Uh, what do you guys re- what do you guys remember of, of these two? I know, you know, uh Hellions was just kind of talking about the Tuesday night Titans with, with Bobby the Brain, um and, and uh Gorilla. What did you what'd you guys think? Oh uh, these
1: two absolutely set the standard, set the bar so high. Uh, the, the the ability for them to feed off of each other. You could tell these guys uh, just working together at that table in the booth, wherever. Absolute best friends. They had spent so much time together. They are so familiar with each other's cues, their cadences, and so on. Uh, the one-liners that Heenan would drop and Monsoon's responses with, uh, I'm sorry I asked, or will you stop, and so on. Just a phenomenal group. Absolutely set the bar. Um, The closest duo that would, you know, maybe in in comparison to would be Jr. and the King later on down the road. But these guys, absolutely phenomenal pairing together. Treats, uh, a correction there. Who did Gorilla
2: do the announcing with for this event? Bobby the Brain Heenan. I'm sorry, you are incorrect. This event is in London. It is Sir Robert of Heenan, Lord Brain.
0: Oh, sorry. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs>
2: which which just shows exactly what we're talking about. Like, you for- God, they're so good. And it, it, granted, I already feel old in my 40s, but in a way, I wish I was in like my 50s and 60s so I could have watched these two and been old enough to get it. Right. And thankfully, a lot of like, you know, Tuesday Night Titans and all that stuff, primetime wrestling, and all. Is on WWE Network, so you can go back. But no one compares to how good they were, mm-hmm. because they're getting over every wrestler, whether a heel or face. They're getting over the match. They're getting over the event. They're getting over the larger picture of what's going on in WWE and leading up to a pay per view or you know another event. They're getting each other going, and you know trying to to pop each other. They're making the fans excited for it. Like they sell every single bit of it to kids and to adult you're watching us watching as adults now you're like wow they're good they're just so good heenan's gotta be one of the fastest quickest funniest minds on earth at the time like, just brilliant um it, it, i don't know if you guys remember and i'm i'm doing it a quick tangent here but when gorilla monsoon died bobby heenan was on wcw monday night He was one of the many people that left they stopped the show to give him a couple minutes to say goodbye to Gorilla. And when Bobby Heenan was inducted into WWE Hall of Fame years later, he just sat there and stopped and was like, I wish he was here with me. Absolutely. Down my mind, how close those two were. And you you can see it on here. Quick question for you guys when I'm thinking of it, because there's not really a better part bringing up. Do you think they were there or do you think it was green screen? And I'm not entirely sure.
1: I think they were there. I, there were a couple of cutaways where they, it looked like they were there live. Okay. I, I feel that they were there live.
0: Also, the crowd was chanting Weasel a couple times. Yeah. Okay. And they had Lord Alfred Hayes Join them. in the booth.
2: So that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Because there, there was just a couple of angles that looked like the old Superstars angles where you can tell they weren't there. They are just on you know, the green screen of the crowd behind them. And there was a couple of, them like, uh, is it just because of the lighting and the angles, or is, you know, I wasn't entirely sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you just think of great, you know, two-man booths, I think Bobby the Brain Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon, and then, of course, like you said, J.R. and The King, and then Corey Graves and Michael Cole. You so. shut
2: your face. <laughs> that's,
0: what, that's what you think. That's, no, our, com- no, that's okay.
2: our competition now. Corey Graves started yet another <laughs> podcast with his, yeah, with his F- girlfriend.
0: F- um, so, well, another thing too, that I noticed is this venue is unbelievably awesome. Um, uh, the, the look that it comes off on the, the special the, one, the crowd's amazing. The crowd is so into Absolutely. it. Of course, you get that a lot when you get these, uh, these UK events, um, especially if it is a, a, a pay-per-view event, which basically This seemed like they were not a full pay-per-view, but like a special event. It it was a little more than a house show, Um, had some juice to it. It was a televised thing, so the crowd was just all over it. But this venue is absolutely gorgeous um i wish they would run it again (laughs) if it's still standing i don't know if it still is or or anything like that but what did you guys think of of just the venue itself made it really uh distinct and different in my opinion
1: uh without a doubt it kind of reminds me somewhat of the manhattan center from the original monday night raw tapings just a much more larger scale version of that um it's just such a like a deep bowl that uh, the the fans are in probably five or six tiers, literally high, and just the crowd absolutely electric. Uh, the entrance way. I mean, there's nothing special in terms of, like, what we're so used to today with monstrous screens and fireworks, and anything like that. They're just heading out of a main door from a set of locker rooms on a platform. Uh, the interesting entryway in terms of the steps, a lot of the wrestlers would jump off of the steps. There's probably, like, four or five steps to get down to the concrete floor level where the ring is compared to the actual entrance ramp up uh some wrestlers would just trot on down the stairs others would just you know kind of run and then jump down those steps so uh just a very very cool setup that we're just so not used to um kind of added to the atmosphere and of the whole building and why why the night seems just so cool yeah. um i thought there was an nxt uk takeover in this building
2: uh i swear i saw that when i looked it up i don't have that information in front of me i forgot to write that down so i'm not entirely sure. Uh, just the way that the tiers go up, and you have like like uh, opera seating almost. Um, I was looking for uh, Stetler and Waldorf for the from the Muppet Show.
0: They were the commentary booth.
2: <laughs> God, I want a Bobby and Muppet so bad now.
0: <laughs> uh, they were in uh, Blackpool. The takeovers were
1: the uh, Empress Ballroom in Blackpool. Okay, I mean, I, I apologize
2: to, to both of you. I, I occasionally am incorrect on things. I know it's a shock.
0: No, no, it's just um, I, I know what you. I understand what you were thinking because they do have a similar feel to it. Kind of like what Matt says too, with the Manhattan uh, Ball Center or Jesus, <laughs> the Manhattan Ball Center. Manhattan Center. Manhattan Center. Okay,
2: the the Tyler Bate the tournament Tyler Bate one was here
0: i didn't think it was on
2: on royalalberthall.com it says it is
0: (laughs) okay yeah so i knew check your check (laughs) your sources again
2: hang on i'll see if someone i went to high school with claims otherwise on facebook (laughs) that's a reputable source (laughs) these days Uh,
0: okay uh why don't we get into the actual event uh why don't we uh go into our first match which is the nasty boys with Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Hart's a name. You were going to hear a lot throughout this because I think he managed pretty much. He had one person in every match. It seemed like, uh, but it's the nasty boys with Jimmy Hart taking on the rockers. Of course, them being uh, HBK and Marty Jannetty. And as the number one, Marty Jannetty fan educator, why don't you <laughs> kick us off?
1: Oh man, Marty Jannetty never got his fair share. Not never got his fair deal. Um, uh, Rockers wearing a, a throwback uh, set of uh, gear uh, was their gear from 1990, or it looks very similar to at least their gear from 1990 SummerSlam. That was the uh, that the the match where Shawn Michaels had a knee injury. Power and Glory absolutely murdered them in the uh, opening match of the show. But so throwback to uh, some of their old gear, and this actually this gear also uh looks similar to the gear that they wore on the infamous saturday night's main event uh match with the heart foundation two out of three falls where they actually won the titles uh live at the crowd but the uh decision was reversed due to poor match quality as well as the 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 ring itself uh the top rope getting damaged and um just destroying the quality of the match um Good match for what, you know, an opener should be. Uh, Some of the things uh, that I appreciate in this match that we don't see a lot today. Uh, The faces doing some kind of like behind the referee's back pseudo heel work. In terms of like changing, uh, swapping partners in and out of the ring without a legal tag. In some cases, where uh, Marty would swap with Sean or Sean would swap with Marty. And when the ref's back was turned, and then Joey Morella, who was uh, on like quadruple duty tonight, Joey Morella would like talk to them, Hey, I didn't see see a tag. And then he would go out to the crowd. And of course, the crowd would cheer, Oh, yeah, 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 they've made a tag. Or swap arounds where one of the rockers would like slap their hands together really, really loud uh, near the referee to make it sound like that was the actual tag that was made uh, to swap out and so on. Um, fantastic uh opening for what it was it was a decent match i should say not fantastic unfortunate kind of like a botch like finish towards the end where uh there was a very very close three call uh three count but it was a two really and the crowd erupted as if the match was over and the rockers had won uh and then we end up getting that schmoz finish where marty's trying to do a pin on one of the rockers and Shawn Michaels is, uh, Jimmy Hart's climbed up on the, on the, uh, ringside on the apron there. And Shawn Michaels is about to punch Marty or punch Jimmy Hart and the referee Morella hooks his arm to prevent him from doing the punch. But Jimmy Hart throws in the megaphone behind the ref's back to nasty boy sags and, uh, ends up just completely crushing Marty, uh, or I'm sorry, knobs hit, hit Jannetty. Uh, and then, Sags rolled him over for the quick one, two, three, without really much uh, Michaels being able to figure out what in the world was going on. Okay, match, good opener. Um, Just fun for what it was. Uh, I appreciated it, and it was just a a great outing uh, to start the whole show.
2: It's all four men working together, which is really crazy to see. Uh, A tag team you expect to work well together, but these two have worked. Work so many times, it's really fluid, which is not a, mo- a word you would use for the Nasty Boys usually. Right. But they're they're just so good together. Rockers having control and doing that, you know, heel it style with the non tag tags, um, knobs or sorry, the Nasty Boys, both of them when they finally get in control, doing great with tagging back and forth, just beating up Sean, keeping him out of his corner, perfect heel work. Like no no one thinks of the Nazis as like a great you know Hall of Fame tag team and all this crazy work they've done, but they won titles everywhere because they were good at their job. Their job was go out there, beat people up, and make the good guys look good, and they they did that job well. You can't deny that from them. Uh, I know we already said great things about uh, Gorilla and Brain, but. It already starts in this match. There is no way Vince McMahon was constantly in their ear like he is today, right? There's just no way they were they were on it by themselves, had their own flow, got their own points across, pause when they wanted to. Which you know maybe says a lot for why they were so good. And, and you're right. That ending is just oh, it was it was such a fun match, and that ending kind of ruined it for a moment and knocked it down a bit. And it just, it happens. You know, you, you wrestle hundreds and hundreds of times. Eventually, there's going to be one that just, the timing doesn't work out. It's no one's fault. It was just happened. You know, a little little extra appreciation for nasties here. Always had appreciation for rockers, but a little more for nasties. I, I'm already happy with this event.
0: Yeah, one thing I noticed from from this match, and I, I made a note of it, is Janetti was really good. <laughs> like a lot better than his later career like he looked phenomenal absolutely in this match um the, those ropes once again super super i've
1: got a couple of other matches and i'm just like wow these guys that are taking bumps over the top rope uh spots where like the uh, the rope gets yanked down and they go backwards over the top rope uh we'll talk about undertaker's match later just yeah it's just so different and i actually a question for you guys do you think that that was an actual uh wwf ring or do you think that was a ring from a local company because you notice like there were no ring apron it was just a light blue uh apron all the way around no like wwf logos or anything like that that you would be you know you're accustomed to um what are your thoughts on that
2: I mean, how often did they even tour UK at this point? Right. Like, like now it's worth it. Well, NXT UK alone, it's worth it to have their own rings over there. I'm sure they have a ring that's just at home in Saudi Arabia right now. You know, there's certain points of the world that they probably just do have them. So they don't have to travel with it. But you had this, you had SummerSlam the next year. But honestly, like how often were they even in England that would have been worth it to have rings? Right. Yeah. So I, I could see it being borrowed. Um, there's we d- we don't see the obvious way to know if a ring is borrowed, which is when you see someone on the show in either a wrestler or manager role and go, who the hell is this and why is he on the show? And usually it's because it's the guy that owns the ring and has the promoter's license for that area. Right, right. So we don't we don't see any obvious tell like that here. Um, I don't know if either of you guys are going to get to it, but it's in my notes for this match. What the hell is with the kids on the stairs? Because there's a big opening of, of an aisle and stairs right across from the hard camera, so you see it the entire time, and every single freaking kid in the building takes their turn to go out in the middle of the stairs, wave at the camera, and then go back <laughs> throughout the entire event. And I can't say I won it or I wouldn't let my kid do it if I was there too, so I'm not upset with them, but it's every single kid throughout the entire show gets their turn. Like, they're going through, like, a, a carousel for it.
0: I guess that's just one of the um, things you have to take with you when you're running a building that's not made for events like pro wrestling. Um, those those wider aisles and, and kind of uh, the sight lines and different things like that. I mean, this seems more like an opera house than, than an actual It event. at
2: SummerSlam 92 as well. Because um, after watching Dark Side of the Ring, I wanted to watch the opening match of Legion of Doom and Money, Inc. Same thing. There's a big... Stair aisle way across from the hard camera and there's people just constantly going back and forth kind of distracting from the match maybe it's an england thing
0: yeah could very well be Uh, another thing too did you guys notice in the crowd a lot of neon hats
2: i did i did i didn't see a commercial for them though
0: yeah they were the rockers hats and i just wanted to point out how popular the rockers were because i mean that was the one thing that stood out for me i wrote what do you think was more in the crowd? Those neon green hats or Hulk Hogan foam fingers um, at this point? Because I saw a lot of those too. And to me, I felt like the rockers were way over with this crowd, way over... Um, with the kids and of course that neon green in the early 90s um, sold like hotcakes and that was in so and this is uh, this
1: is early october 91 and unfortunately uh where they're already starting they're going to be soon doing the angle of the eventual breakup that's going to happen in early january of the next year or so
0: Yeah, but it was a a really good way to start off the event, Um, and you're going to hear this a lot. It was a very, very, very good house show match, in my opinion, and what I mean by house show match, a lot of people probably think, well, if it's not televised, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. A house show match, to me, is a match where the wrestlers are having a lot of fun. Um, They're not doing their normal stuff. They're playing it up for the crowd. Um, you know, this is kind of a little different than a house show and a house show. I think you have more faces winning than heels. Um, this event, uh, as we go through it, you'll see a lot of heels go over, but it, it was just, a, it was a fun event. Those guys looked like they were having a lot of fun out there. Um, and I think the crowd really, you know, plays into that as well. So. Um, but let's throw it to Mean Gene Okerlund, who is interviewing Ric Flair, and we get to see the big gold. Uh, what did you guys think of this uh, little uh, promo?
1: And it's the real deal, big gold, not a manufactured one, because you could tell the top of the belt is kind of like folded back a little bit. That's what was infamous for that particular belt. I mean, that belt, when eventually it was returned to WCW, it ended up being the uh, the belt used when the whole NWA thing kind of revived, and MassaChono won the belt, and then Muda won the belt, and then Barry Windham who won it from Great Muda, and then eventually it went back to Flair when he ended up returning to back to WCW. Um, great introduction, uh, great way to. Uh, this is very soon after he debuted. I actually myself personally, I went to um, a Wrestling Challenge taping that was in Cornwall, Ontario. Where Ric Flair day de- initially debuted against Jim Powers, um, I actually was uh, live in attendance. So this is uh, like a few weeks later this show because it was. I remember going to that show and school had just started, maybe a couple of weeks in September. So big gold. One thing I did notice: Mean Gene called him Nature Boy, Ric Flair, the Nature Boy. He wasn't really referred to by that moniker. That was his NWA moniker. Um, He wasn't referred to it, I don't believe, that much during this. They did very, very little, I think, uh, to refer to them. Instead, it was the real-world champion that they more focused on.
0: Yeah, and that that really got us right into our match, which was going to be Tito Santana versus Flair. Um, Kevin Hellions, what, what did you think of the Santana versus Flair match here?
2: Uh first of all, I forgot the educator's half Canadian. It's it's been a while since I've needed that information he's talking about when he went to Cornwall, Ontario. I was looking forward to the match so much when it started, but this isn't prime Tito Santana. Good hand, still good worker and all, but this isn't him, you know, in his prime by any means. I never understood why he still wore the strike force tights.
1: I and I had that in my notes. They had been broken up almost two years at this point. WrestleMania five. Yeah. And, and Russ two and a half years that these guys have been split up and he's still wearing the strike force tights. It's crazy. And then Flair's
2: style, which he's always had is he takes the beating and sells and makes his opponent looks look great until he builds his comeback and, you know, would usually win as a multi-time world champion. But th- that's the NWA style that he had. He's going into every territory, Getting their homegrown champion, making that guy look great, winning barely at the end to keep the title, but now that territory has someone that looks legit because they hung with Ric Flair, or you know wh- whoever the NWA champ may have been. I always thought Flair had, and and this isn't a perfect example, but it's like he had like a midget wrestling style with some of the comedy and the selling and the, you know, he he would do like Pratt Falls, and silly bumps, and it was like borderline comedy for a lot of the stuff he did. But then he still, Ric Flair, and could out wrestle pretty much anyone. But he had all these like pratfall gimmicky spots that he would always do to kind of look the fool. But it's really just him selling, making you know the other guy look great.
0: Yeah, I I brought that up to to you guys because uh, Flair you know a lot of people obviously you're going to put him in your top three wrestlers ever just because i mean he is he'd be (laughs) Um, be
1: on your mount rushmore
0: absolutely but his style and his moveset i mean his his when you think of get your spots in um and you hear that all the time today flare spots chops figure four Mm -hmm.
1: and and the and the the over, oh, the, the over, the over t- the yeah, the, the whip into the corner where he flips over the top rope and then he goes off the top to do that move, but he always gets caught and it gets press slammed off the top rope. Is, so yep. his spots,
0: his, his spots are always him taking a beating. I find right. that fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there is no other wrestler like it. There just isn't.
2: Yeah. He doesn't have like the five moves of doom. Right. He has, like, the five moves he takes until his comeback. Right.
1: Uh, You know, classic flair. There were multiple pin attempts that he was doing where he's got his feet on the ropes for leverage. And Danny Davis, the referee, would catch him and admonish him. You know, I'm going to disqualify you, blah, blah, blah. Um, When Santana did hit his flying forearm finish onto Flair and went for the pin, Flair, I mean, he barely got his toes on that rope to stop that pinfall. Um, The finish to the match, that roll-up that he ended up reversing and double hands on the tights, I wish they would not have done the replay to show the two hands on the tights because... That was a lot of Tito Santana exposure on the replay that I really didn't need to see on that. So, but, you know, he- heel shenanigans to get the win. Yeah, we we saw a lot of a lot of butt.
2: A, a little too much south
1: of the border? A lot of south of the border.
0: Uh, one thing, too, I don't know if you guys noticed this on commentary, I just thought was kind of interesting, and you wouldn't see it now, is uh, Bobby the Brain coughing into the microphone. I just thought that was kind of... Uh, Um, kind of interesting. So then they throw to an, um, an edit, which is basically just like a little commercial break sort of thing. Uh, and then we go into mean gene interviewing the big boss man. Uh, of course, mean gene makes a suburban commando (laughs) reference, uh, pumping that up. That must've been coming out pretty, pretty soon saying he's hoping to get tickets from his good friend Hawk. Uh, what did you guys think of that, uh, interview with boss man?
1: Um interesting but I mean uh, there's going to be a bunch of these interviews that are happening right before the matches. Some of them are backstage, some of them are like live in front of the crowd, kind of giving you the vibe that this was going to be like a superstars taping, kind of like a, there was no podium or inter- uh, you know interview set. Um I, I just I find it interesting in that Bossman and in, in talking about his opponent and the stats Uh, of his opponent in terms of height and weight. And then the uh, next interview we get is Jimmy Hart that contradicts what Bossman had said about height and weight. So I ended up doing a little bit of stat checking uh, uh, on the Canadian Earthquake. Well, At this time he was the earthquake. We originally debuted as the Canadian earthquake. So Bossman refers to the quake as a six foot nine, 500 pound piece of trash. And I was thinking about that. I'm like six nine. I mean that's like almost like undertaker size. I didn't remember earthquake like being that super tall. So uh, we end up getting another commercial and then we come back and Gene Oakland is now doing an interview with Jimmy Hart. and Jimmy Hart talks about how awesome the earthquake is and how the earthquake is six foot seven and, uh, and just over 400 pounds. So we got you know some discrepancies there, and again to me six seven still seemed pretty tall. I know we're the whole idea of kayfabe and we're trying to you know get these guys to seem bigger than life. So I actually did a search and I actually went to find out about Earthquake's career during his sumo time when he was referred to as Kodo Tenzan and his stats um, he was six feet five and a half. So he actually was a pretty tall guy, 423 pounds. And uh, according to the research I've done, and I don't know if you guys are aware, when he was sumo, he was actually undefeated as sumo. He was 21-0-7. I don't know what the whole seven, like no contest, double, I don't know, I'm not f- too familiar with sumo You know, sumo style in terms of like what the, the draws might be or no contest or so on. But yeah, earthquake during his uh, his sumo time, he was undefeated. It's pretty cool. And so, and, and I mean, we'll get into it for the match, but
2: he wasn't like a fat, immobile guy.
1: No, oh, and one of the things <laughs> I am going to talk about is the very obvious size discrepancy between the Big Boss Man and the Earthquake. You know, when Big Boss Man came to WWF in like '87. Just coming off of uh, his Big Bubba Rogers gimmick, um, and he was teaming with Akeem and the Twin Towers. He was a very big, heavy, heavy, but mobile guy. He had a big transformation in his body during his first run in the WWF. He had slimmed down a lot and became a lot more mobile, a lot more agile. And just seeing the two together in the ring, Earthquake, a much bigger. Thicker competitor, but again, very agile, as uh, as Hellion said. Um, not like a lot of the super heavyweights that we would see later on in the future in the WWF. Um, not only did I
2: not realize how fast he was and how, and how big he is, because with Boss man being the smaller guy, it's just absurd to, to say or even think, but he is in this man. Yeah, exactly. Earthquake's also a funny guy. I don't know if he caught it during his promo. He asked me and Gene, do you know how long a boat takes to get over here? It takes forever. That's why we took a plane. And it's the dumbest thing. So, of course, I loved it. I think he was trying to imply that, like, he's too big to be on a plane at first. So he had to fly over or uh, take a boat over and switched it. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I didn't expect it out of Earthquake because it's usually just like, I'm going to, you know, squash you, squish you. Yeah, you know, his usual promos.
0: You thought that was the most interesting thing to come out of that promo, Kevin?
2: Uh uh that promo? Yes I did. Why? What do you got?
0: I thought it was mean Gene talking to Jimmy Hart. Loosen up your shorts, Jimmy Hart.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Don't know what he's referencing. Uh, but there is one thing I want to talk about, and it's a very serious issue, guys. Um, and it it does deal with earthquake. When he's coming down to the ring. I call this nipple gate. He's got one of his nipples <laughs> out of his singlet. And it was the only thing I could stare at the entire it's just, time. It's just staring at you. It was, I think it, it was like, the, you know, it's like one of those paintings, no matter where you're, where you're at in the room, the eyes are looking at you. It's the same thing with the nipple. The nipple's just staring me down the entire time. What? That's kind of nothing nothing telling
2: i mean i I mean the funny thing is like there's plenty of accounts online that that are like you know here's a wrestler's nipple slipped out it's usually not earthquakes
0: for the man nips all right let's go into the match uh earthquake with jimmy hart taking on the big boss man Uh, a couple things stood out to me uh number one uh big boss man does this move where he comes off the first turnbuckle bottom
1: turnbuckle i have that in my notes too like a double
0: axe handle yeah and because the the ropes are so loose he's like like two inches off off the canvas i thought it was awkward um also too this one and this was an issue i had with this event um especially with the first half of this event is the first four matches all go about 15 minutes and really, when you're thinking Earthquake versus boss man, I'm not thinking of a 15-minute classic. So what did you guys think of the match? Should it have gone this long?
1: Um, it's another one of those matches where it's a Schmaz finish. We get shenanigans with outside interference. Again, Jimmy Hart being involved, but then we have a run-in at the end. Um, one of the things that I was actually most impressed with in the match with Earthquake is... Um, Uh, the few move sequences later after we had just talked about the whole double ax handle off the bottom rope, um, big boss man had actually climbed to the top rope uh, as he was making his comeback. And he jumped off the top rope to do a high cross body or like a dive under earthquake and earthquake pretty much caught him. Maybe one of his feet touched the ground barely, but earthquake caught a 330 plus pound big boss man doing a ready like a dive, and then hit that big, powerful uh, power slam that he's known for to set up for uh, the the Earthquake, the Vertical Splash. Um, I I love the homage that was given uh, to Andre in that Earthquake did the Andre the Giant, arms are caught up in the ropes kind of deal, and Bossman is just paint-brushing Earthquake very hard back and forth. Um, We end up getting a run-in from the Mountie, who ends up tripping the boss man, who's running on the ropes, um, and then somehow Earthquake magically escapes and then just hits the side rope and does an elbow drop to the center of the back or the back of the neck of boss man and just rolls him up for the big one, two, three. So not a clean finish in this match. Um, you know, not necessarily a, a lot of clean finishes throughout the night. So we don't really have... a. Uh, a clean finish with uh, the Ric Flair match and the pulling of the tights and not a clean finish with the Nasty Boys with the megaphone and so on. So lots of uh, different, different things that some of these guys are playing around with. Uh, but yeah, much longer than it needed to be. But interesting to see again how the Jimmy Hart members are kind of watching each other's back and helping each other out. I've said on
2: previous episodes that i don't like big man versus big man battles the super heavyweights we brought up yokozun and mabel yokozun and vader this is probably the best big man versus big man match i've seen i really enjoyed it i i was shocked how quick earthquake is a lot of his moves just look effortless like he's just in the zone he's not even thinking it's just reflex to pull off some of these moves that he's doing Bossman, man of course you know the more and more you watch for boss man you realize how good he was too um and then i still don't know how you know like we know a lot of the i'll say secrets of wrestling but you know we know how certain moves are done how certain things are pulled off and all i don't know how you have a 400 man pound man step on you on your chest and walk over and not cause serious problems or pain or injury so we got real good close-up of Earthquake doing that to Boss Man. Like we said before about the ropes being looser, this is the match if you want an example of it. Earthquake bounces back on those ropes and is halfway into the audience before it snaps back. It is scary to see his all his weight and the momentum coming through, the ropes bending. He's like halfway out and then coming back. I don't know if I trust anything in my life as much as he trusted those ropes to hold him.
1: It's crazy. These ropes move like the, the old WWF Hasbro ring for those wrestling <laughs> figures. And they're just so bouncy. They're like rubber bands or like a girl's hair tie. The, I mean, there's just so much stretchable movement. It's just crazy. And, and I mean, it's
2: I was so impressed by both of them. Uh, they got like a nice fight with the steel steps, earthquake getting tied up. Like there's a lot going on here. Match goes 15 minutes. Does any match have to go that long? Can you usually, you know, shave off a couple minutes of most matches? Yeah, but I didn't feel it with this much. This one, as much as I felt it for others, because I was getting into it so much. Uh, Mounty come out to help with the win, which um, Mountie and big boss man have their long feud. They're both managed by Jimmy Hart. It it pushes forward the greater story of WWF at the time. Like, I, I was happy with all of it, and I didn't expect Earthquake versus Big Boss Man to be a match I was going to love when it started.
0: Well, and it just goes to show you, too, how good both of those guys are for Big Ben. They both can move. Uh, and I think with the previous Big Man versus Big Man matches, when you're talking about Yoka and Mabel, none of them are moving. <laughs> Neither one of them are. And these guys actually can shuffle.
2: Not at the point we saw them. And, I mean, Boss Man... You know, we're still go- doing some good stuff in his last WWF run, but Earthquake and yes, he's fighting a disease, but they throw him under a mask and just have him kind of go out there and shuffle and, you know, not do much in his last run. So, you know, we're seeing them in their prime, whereas if I went and saw certain Vader matches like at the height of his WCW run, I'd probably enjoy them a lot more than what we were seeing. Um, I don't know that there's a great height Mabel match I could watch. Maybe when he's dressed as a clown.
0: So why don't we move on to Mean Gene interviewing Carrie Von Eric, the Texas tornado. And to me, when I first saw this, I thought Carrie Von Eric was just in a bathrobe. (laughs) Like getting interviewed. (laughs) I thought maybe he left his robe back in Texas. And when he flew over, they had to come up with something because it did not look good at all. Um, but then when he got to the um, arena later um, for his match with the Mountie, I thought it did look better. Um, you know, after that interview, which really was just the generic interview, I, I don't think there was anything. Did you guys pull anything off of it? Just a
1: generic interview, hyping his his match against his opponent later that night. That was coming up next.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing for both of these interviews because we get an edit, then we go to Mean Gene who's now in the arena who interviews the Mountie and Jimmy Hart um, and that will lead to the match between them Uh, and of course it is the Mountie versus the Texas Tornado, Carrie Von Eric, Uh, what did you guys think of this?
1: Um, One of the things I noticed and even the Mountie brought it up too is that it seemed like there was an issue with whoever was running sound for the matches because like the first guy was like walking to the ring, would have his name like introduced by the ring announcer before his music would cut. Um, in my notes here, I'm looking at the nasty boys were already halfway to the ring before and their names were announced before their music came on. Tito Santana, uh, had very, very late music coming to the ring. Um, And in this particular match, the Mountie, um, he had his entrance music to the, like, a third of the way down where he ends up getting interviewed. Gene Okerlund's, like, my guest this week, which, mm, when he was setting up for his interview, made me think that this was, like, a Superstars taping or a Wrestling Challenge taping, uh, because that's, like, how he typically started off with his interviews. And then after his interview was over, he immediately walks to the ring for his match, and he grabs the microphone from the ring announcer. He's like, I want to hear my music. Like, they didn't even bother playing his music as an entrance to the ring itself. Um, one of the things I, I um, just now being an adult and knowing uh, the history, um, Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich remember and i didn't know it at the time he had an ampute he was wrestling on a prosthetic he had his foot amputated and he held and he hid that from the boys in the back it- it's amazing how well carry von eric moves around in the ring wrestling on a prosthetic foot uh that was one of the things i noted um in terms of throwbacks to old like retro wrestling um i miss this the submission sleeper spot where the, the wrestler who has the hold on him is fading away and the referee picks up the hand, drops it once, picks up the hand again, drops it again. Now we're so accustomed to if there's like a pass out, the referee just moves the arm once and it's an automatic submission. So given the opportunity for the face to, to hulk up after the third uh, almost arm drop, um, I, I kind of miss that spot
0: so matt let me let me ask you a question I, the reasoning they're doing that is because of ufc
1: i would imagine um, yeah more of a modern style where we got instead of uh, you know a submission we're getting a tap out kind of deal and in terms of like being put to sleep or being choked out it's just a one arm drop oh the arm's limp that's it yeah it's got to be because of the whole modern day idea to mma wrestling
0: but if you if you were in charge of WWE AEW, would you
1: go back to the the three? I um, would just to stay at, be a different, you know, uh, to keep make yourself just be a different entity rather than embracing, you know, everything else that's you know the same that's out there now. I, I think a
0: lot of times when it when it comes to that sort of stuff, you know, we pro wrestling is different than MMA, right? I mean, some of the stuff they take is good, but let's remember what makes pro wrestling, pro wrestling. And that's the theatrics of it. So exactly. the, you know, the up and then, you know, up once, up twice, and then they save and hulk up. So, all
1: right. So, uh, other things that I noticed, uh, just a couple more notes I had from the match. Uh, the Texas Tornado um, attempts to do his finish here, his discus punch outside of the ring onto the Mountie. He ends up positioning the Mountie up against uh, the ring post, his back. So he's kind of like leaning back on the ring post. He ends up doing that, you know, discus punch, and, and Mountie ducks and he smacks his hand against the ring post. And you can hear that. And Monsoon ends up uh, calling it the Whirling Dervish, which, you know, we've become custom accustomed to later on down the road as being a part of the, a finisher from the VOD villains with, with Aiden English. Um, so Tornado punches his fist against the, 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 the ring post and then he's kind of selling that as like an injury throughout the rest of the more majority of the match. Um, ends up uh, again a weird finish in terms of the pitting predicament where the Tornado attempts to do a monkey flip onto the mountie, but somehow the mountie doesn't get flipped over and he ends up catching his feet on the ropes on the top ropes and he ends up just cradling down for a pin and uh, referee Danny Davis never saw both of the feet on the ropes. And ends up getting a quick one-two-three pinfall, and then Tornado thought the ma- made it sound. The referee made it look like he was going to reverse the decision and have the match continue. Mountie ends up getting back into the ring, gets a back body drop, and then slides out of the ring and runs for you know runs out of there, uh, being the winner of the match. So, uh, not a great finish. Not in my opinion, not a great match overall. Uh, for the two, I mean, it, for what it was, again, entertaining, I guess, for the crowd. crowd was super anti-Jacques uh, Rougeau, the Mountie. Uh, but for what it was, and again, Tornado, uh, again, rustling on a prosthetic foot, it was what could be expected. Just to double back to
2: Treats' this question from earlier, I think for certain moves, it makes sense to do a quick tap out. But for other moves, it still makes sense to do the drop the hands three times uh, like Becky Lynch with a disarm her or um, Charlotte Flair with the figure eight. That's a tap out move.
0: Yeah, but they're, sure. they're, they're but different. A sleeper, I think. Yeah,
2: right. So that's what I'm saying. Something like a sleeper, something that seems like a slow wear down should be a hand drop.
0: Like um, Shayna's Shayna's finisher. Yes,
2: that should be a hand drop. It should be more of like it takes a while for this to take effect. And we've seen people get choked out. And yeah, so you can have a loose one on and they're starting to go and then you can sink it on real tight. But wrestling's, you know, for many reasons, it's going to be, you know, your loose style one. So it should just be like, oh, the person's slowly fading. Oh, the more they fight it, the more it's tighter and all. There should be more theatric to one like that. Uh, I don't think you can watch a Kerry Von Erich match in this era without looking at his feet. I, it's impossible. Once you know that he had the prosthetic and he was wrestling with it and all, you have to look his feet just for where they're positioned, how they stand. It's impressive what he's doing.
0: Absolutely,
2: you got, you got to give him credit, but I don't think you can not look just out of curiosity. And the funny thing was, for years, people just thought he was a messed up dude that liked to wear his boots in the shower, and he, he would say stuff like, "Oh, I don't want to catch anything." You know, it's you don't know what. Kind of crap is in these showers, and all. I don't want to get any infection on my foot. People just thought he was a weird dude. Um, speaking of Von Eric's body, though, and I already regret saying it that way, um, he is in ridiculous shape. Like there are muscles on his back I didn't know existed.
0: What did you um? What did you think of his Manhattan Ball Center?
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: I like how so, I like how Matt is just shaking his head, but Kevin loves it.
2: I reserve <laughs> no comment. Play, play, play to the audience. Um, uh, A lot of the guys, guys on this
1: car—they looked absolutely jacked to the gills. Oh, I'll God, talk yeah. about power. And when
0: was there. the um when was the steroid trial?
1: hadn't happened yet
0: yeah yeah but like do you remember the exact Uh, moment was it 92 92,
1: 93 bulldog and warrior were kind of like axed right around right before survivor series so So, i mean it's a year away it's another year yeah or at least Um, the starting premise to it is about a year away you
2: you can see it with most of the guys too um but I got a few, you know, coming up that I'm like, holy cow, you should not be that big. We know why you are, but you really shouldn't be that big. Right. Uh, Von Eric's taking a beating in this match, and it's one of my favorite Bobby Heenan quotes of the whole evening. Uh, Van Eric's on the mat, and Brain says, it looks like the weather is clearing up. Frickin' loved that line. <laughs> uh, Mounty with, like, some pretty good heel work. You know, there's nothing that like I was overly impressed by him. Though he always been a good worker, whether on his own or as a tag. But you know, he did well with you know being the the, the heel to the immensely popular Texas Tornado there. And he just he doesn't seem right either. You know, uh, obviously Von Eric's best time is you know world class. His feud with Flair, feud with Freebirds, and all something just seemed off maybe it's because we know what comes later like maybe it's not actually there i'm projecting it onto it you know I'm, I'm seeing darkness coming
1: that's still that's still a couple more years away i believe it was 93 uh, when bon eric took his life but uh he, he's nearing the end of his wWF run um well he he's in the royal rumble 92. Wow, that was for the World Championship. That was in Albany, New York. But he, he's getting closer towards the end of his run. was that, Kev?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, guess,
2: I, I, I just, you know, like, the match is fine. It, I just don't have much for the match. Von you know, he takes a beating for a while. Mountie does some good work. He, he gets a, a weird reversal, you know, cheating win for it. Um, right. Von, Von Eric tries to argue it and doesn't succeed. I, I legit thought they were going to restart the match.
1: I thought the match At was restarted point. as well. And then after the one bump and then Maloney takes off running and that's it. So
2: Yeah. And, and then they play Von Eric's music and fans are like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, his music's playing. I guess that's a good thing.
0: All right. So I guess our next segment uh, will be the funeral parlor with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Uh, you know, just one of those great um, segments where... He's like digging holes. He's doing something. I don't even know what he's doing. But what I love is they cut to the phantom who is playing the organ for the Undertaker's entrance live. And it is
1: fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Love that. this not a more iconic moment? (laughs) Exactly. The entrance uh, with with the Undertaker and the phantom doing the music uh, was just absolutely amazing. Amazing to hear.
0: And it makes me wonder why they've never done that entrance with someone playing the organ at Mania. Like, you know, Taker's known for his great entrances. Why not incorporate that?
1: Well, think about when you ended up getting, like, the live music. Um, What, DX, probably WrestleMania 14. I I believe uh, Michaels had live entrance music there. But uh, prior to that, I, I don't remember any earlier any kind of live entrance music so i mean this was you know kind of a little special deal i again probably because that is set up for that ballroom uh and it was just easy to to have someone play that organ that was there so uh but it just just added to the ambiance and the mystique of the character i was so it was great absolutely great
0: Yeah, and that really does lead to The Undertaker with Paul Bearer taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, A couple things that I thought was very interesting. Um, One, there is an air horn that is now going off in the crowd, and it's
1: doing... it's just
0: it's still they go yeah. nuts
1: for it later and you hear that in the SummerSlam 92 pay-per-view in Wembley Stadium uh throughout the entire night as well yeah but the you started to hear it more prevalent in this particular match
0: and the other thing too is you know how you know you're over is when you go to the UK and do and a USA UK chance for USA <laughs>
1: i have that in my notes as well how in the world do you get the united how do you get england to do a usa chant uh in the middle of the match I mean, that's how good hacksaw and how over he was well educator why don't you go
0: through your notes for us
1: uh just a few things um this is young younger undertaker or newer character uh to the wwf at the time so we're so used to The Undertaker and his both of his arms being completely covered in tattoos. And now, here, early in his career, as this character, he only has just the one main tattoo on the one arm of the Grim Reaper up to his elbow, but his other arm completely bare and the rest of his arm from elbow up completely bare. So we're looking... It just, it's just... Just, it, you know, unique in seeing uh, a younger version of the Taker that hasn't got full body art. Um, Undertaker's flying clothesline when he throws Duggan in the ropes and then he backtracks to the ropes and leaps across the ring. Oh, my goodness. That is just a thing of beauty watching him soar across the ring, hit that... uh, hit that tombstone or hit, hit that flying clotheslines uh, tombstone. Unfortunately, we don't get to see that. In fact, we don't get to see a lot of the finishers of any of the wrestlers in this particular show. Um, I guess it was just a way to, to keep, uh Hacksaw Strong by not having a pinning defeat, but we ended up getting a disqualification uh with uh Duggan coming in with a two by four and cracking Undertaker over the back uh to actually win the match by a disqualification finish. So um luckily it was quick. It was a quicker match, a shorter match. Um, Undertaker got a few of his moves in. Uh, And the other thing, again, him doing old school or what we now call old school, walking the ropes with Duggan. When he walks halfway across the ring, the top rope has, because of his body weight and how loose the ropes are, the top rope is touching the middle rope. So it's as if he's just coming off of the middle rope to do that ax handle over the back. It's just crazy how loose these ropes were and how because of the fact that they were loose, he was able to keep that balance and not just tumble over. It's crazy.
2: It, yeah, I mean, most I have like two series of notes here. One's about the ropes and one's about the two by four. But you're right. Uh, he. That top rope has like all the strength and support of a pool noodle. Like it's just, it's amazing people didn't fall, get hurt, you know, flip over anything. Well, Undertaker does take a flip over it and lands on his feet, which part of that's his his height as well, right? That assists with that. Um, Paul bears steals Duggan's two by four and tries to hide it. You know, you're a big dude. When you can hide a two by four the way a normal sized dude would, like, hide a candy bar while while walking past a child, like, hey, you don't see this, you don't see this. Um, was Hagsaw that popular, or Undertaker that knew that Hagsaw had to keep his heat and and Undertaker gets a win by DQ when Duggan uses the two by four. Like, Duggan was never his only. All right, he won non televised royal R- royal rumble he was king hacksaw for a little while but that's his biggest wwfe accomplishments whereas undertaker's coming in a month or yeah a month later is tuesday in texas right month later is tuesday
1: in texas he just come off of SummerSlam 91 where he beat up macho man backstage with jake roberts and the whole snake gimmick going back that rumble that you said he won that was actually that was live on tv that was on usa network
0: so okay, we, sorry, we did see
1: that. We, yeah, it wasn't a pay per view. It was um, it was a uh, special on uh, uh, USA, and they were running against NWA. Uh, an NWA show, um, Bunkhouse Stampede, I think it was, or some NWA pay per view that was in that early earlier that year, nineteen eighty eight. I mean, Undertaker
2: on in in the main event radar, we'll say, which. I wouldn't put Duggan ever in that same circle and yet he has to still look, you know, both guys got Luke Strong coming out of this so we get the DQ one. Like, uh, out of any match that would make sense for a clean victory, I would think Undertaker over Duggan. Uh, but, I mean, you it's, it's such a pro-USA crowd. You can't have their their hometown American hero lose, I guess. Yeah,
0: I just thought that was so funny. Just kind of goes to show you, though, how old or how over he was, especially like you said, he never won a title in WWF, WWE. You know, he's he never got a, um, you know, those notable victories. It was just kind of he was just kind of an upper or a mid card guy.
1: I think, unfortunately, what possibly was the reason for that is that he right when he initially debuted he ended up screwing up big time and that arrest uh where then kayfabe was broken where he and iron sheet got arrested together when they were supposedly feuding feuding with one another so uh, and i think that just left a pretty dirty taste in mcmahon's mouth and all the powers that be that were booking but yeah it's unfortunate. Uh, Duggan was a huge draw in uh, mid-south and UWF and his, his battles with one man gang were were legendary uh, uh, for Bill Watts promotion. And then when he finally comes to WWF, you know, he's unfortunately he's relegated to mid card, maybe upper mid card here or there, but other than the King gimmick, he didn't really do too too much more to note. Well you you see
2: his his mid south work, like you mentioned, and then the cartoon character that he becomes in WWF, right? And it's shocking what a difference there is. And I'm sure he made a lot more money in WWF. Oh, without a doubt,
1: without a time. doubt. And he
2: became a worldwide star. And mm-hmm. all credit, you know, you want to you want to play a goofy gimmick, but look at what you're getting. Sign me up. I think the only bigger at the time of the you know cartoony toy driven WWF of let's take a crazy monster brawler, violent person and turn them into cartoon is the sheep herders into the bushwhackers.
1: Right.
0: So we then transition into mean gene interviewing Roddy Piper. And I just have, how great is Roddy Piper? Just so good on the mic um just really enjoyed this uh interview what'd you guys think
1: bobby heenan you lie more than the government lies that's just a great line i love that but coming out piper's mouth that was just fantastic uh yeah roddy piper on the stick uh not very there there's you can count on one hand uh, less than one hand to count number of people that were better on the stick than roddy piper dude was just fantastic
2: Imagine if he did like now, like uh, fully in his retirement and Dolph Ziegler when he feels he's not being used properly and Piper went on a stand up circuit tour.
1: That'd
2: be crazy. He he probably would have sold out so much he would have gotten an HBO special.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, just a uh, just a really good um, interview. We do get then an edit um, commercial break, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we go into Mean Gene talking with Jimmy Hart and Typhoon. Uh, I just kind of find it funny that we we were talking about this, and when we get to the Battle Royal, I'm sure we'll announce all the participants, but Typhoon and Piper are the only two wrestlers that were like surprises for the for the Battle Royal. Everyone else was wrestling on the card up until that point. Um, and then, you know, we, we transition into Power and Glory uh, getting talked to uh, Mean Gene uh and to me hercules is redder than brother love and he looks like a jacked jake roberts
1: absolutely yeah
0: <laughs> like i'm a, like a, he's a mixture of brother love jake roberts and steroids had a baby
1: <laughs> without a doubt i just went and then when he gets in the ring later in his match and he, and he chops or hits to his chest or back you just feel bad um you know, he very if if you guys aren't familiar with Hercules, um, in terms of complexion, I easily would compare him to current Sheamus, who's known to be a very very light, pale-skinned um individual. Hercules just never really tan that well. He's just Got just completely burnt to a crisp. You just you look at him, and then you look at Paul Roman next to him, and there's just why he's just completely different in terms of their bodies' reaction to to sunlight. It's just crazy. You know, um,
2: we'll we'll get to it in the in the match, but Paul Roma is better than I thought on the mic. Good luck to him and all, and I'm just. Yeah, you, you know, I need I need to deep dive more, which I don't know if anyone said. I need to deep dive into Paul Roma matches more, but I'm wondering like why didn't he click? Like, what's the missing piece here that he never caught on?
1: He, I mean, you know, he uh, he started in ter- he was a singles guy. He got paired with Paul or with uh, Jim Powers, and they actually had uh, a tag team and, and a decent tag team. I know sometimes they're referred to. Oftentimes, it's like a jobber tag team in the WWF. But uh, I mean, the Young Powers—they had an established name, they had theme music, and they they had some decent matches with the Hart Foundation. Uh, in fact, they were there during Hart Foundation's first run as WWF tag team champions. I mean, I believe there was a Saturday Night's Main Event match. And the Stallions came pretty darn close to, or maybe it was a superstars match, but almost beating the, uh, uh, the Hart Foundation for the tag titles. So they absolutely, as a tag team, were a credible threat. Um, something must have happened. Jim Powers suddenly was gone and Paul Roma was back to singles and then ended up, um, and this is what set up that heart uh, the Rockers feud at SummerSlam 90, uh, Hercules and Paul Roma started tagging together and then, uh... I just I don't know why this team did not click more. Their finishing maneuver, that powerplex, the superplex, into that splash. Oh my goodness! It was such a uh, an amazing, uh, just eye catching finisher. Um, I'm just I'm surprised that this team did not click click well. And you notice there's no slick here. Um, yep. And, you know, so they were paired up with Slick to, to be, you know, to have someone to talk because Hercules was not really known to be a decent talker. But Roma, I mean, absolutely. You, you start to see him on the mic. And then when he goes to WCW later on down the road, um, part of the horseman. And then eventually he tags up with Paul Orndorff and becomes pretty wonderful. And has a tag run, he, he, he gets better and better on the microphone as time goes on. Not only
2: is Slick missing, but their amazing sunglasses are also missing. Right. Right. Power and glory Spill sunglasses, which only other time uh, in this era that I saw such sunglasses was the character of Hollywood in the movie Mannequin.
0: That's right.
1: Misach Taylor. (laughs) So
0: then we get an edit, uh, another commercial, and then we get an interview with LOD, uh, of course, with Mean Gene, uh, the Legion of Doom here. Um and then that goes into our uh Power and Glory which is Roma and Hercules uh taking on LOD match. Uh what did you guys think of the interview and then what did you think of the match?
1: Uh certainly the interview did its job in terms of trying to get, you know, uh, put over the the impending tag title match coming up. Um these this team they they have a history from earlier in the year uh prior to WrestleMania 7. There was a tag team battle royal to see who was going to be the number one contenders to face the Heart Foundation to WrestleMania 7. And the Nasty Boys actually ended up winning it, but it was due to the fact that uh, Paul Roman Hercules kind of did some shenanigans after they were eliminated and caused the Legion of Doom to end up being eliminated in that match, causing the Nasty Boys to win. You fast forward, they ended up having a match At WrestleMania and it was just a complete squash with Legion of Doom just practically doing the Doomsday device and it was probably a 30 second match uh, destroying Paul Roma and getting the quick pin. Um, This match itself certainly was a lot longer than uh, their WrestleMania match uh, but the outcome was the same. The finish was a little bit different. The only couple of notes that I had again was Hercules just was just painful to look at in terms of his red color and the, the obvious sunburnt sun poisoning that he must have been experiencing dealing in that match um did you guys notice paul roman the pile driver to hawk and hawk just Shit, completely hawk no cells it completely got up and no sold it like it was absolutely nothing that had happened and then my last note was just the the unexpected finish Paul Roma jumping up to the top rope to do a cross crossbody onto Animal, and Animal just catches him and hits a big power slam and a big one two three uh, pinfall from Joey Morella refing this match, and boom, that's it. Not not too much more that I noticed or to say on my end.
2: So back to the promo. Hawk is known for doing very good promos along his career, and he is has- Numerous promos that are a verbal beating. Like before LOD Road Warriors get in the ring and actually beat the hell out of their opponents, he'll just say stuff that sounds horribly violent and disgusting about what they're going to do to their opponents. Calling Hercules and Paul Roma sour and gory is not one of those, though. It's more like a like grade school level. Um, so back to the match. Yeah, I have that no cell of the pile driver on here. That was crazy. Uh, Animal hits a powerbomb before powerbombs were a thing, really. Look look nasty. Could have been a finish right there. And uh, in later years, that probably would have been a finishing move. Um, Hawk does this dive off the ropes, off the top rope, misses, and then elaborately rolls across the ring to the floor. So Power and Glory can beat him up out on the floor. Like, There's a few things where I'm wondering what's going on with Hawk. And the, the three of us talk this off, Mike, Before the listeners, uh, in the next year is the Summer Slam that takes place in England. Hawk ends up uh, doing a lot of drugs and taking off after it. British Bulldog shows up at the end of a three-day crack bender, and Brett has to walk him through the match. So the next show to take place in England has a lot of things. Hercules... Maybe, maybe like Educator was saying, maybe he spent too much time out in the sun, he was had a little sun poisoning, a little burn. I thought he looked off like he was on a bad trip or he was coming down from something. Like he just seems really off the entire match, like something's messed up about him. Uh, but then you know, Hawk seems a little messed up too, which might make that ending. Uh, Paul Roma comes off the top, will catches him, reverses it, slams him, pin the two guys that I feel aren't 100% are not involved in the pinfall at all in the tag match.
1: This match is one of Roma's last matches. He ends up leaving about a week later on this tour. He ends up finishing up this tour. He ends up having a match about a week later uh, uh, with with Hercules um, against the Rockers, I believe, in France. And then after that, he ends up leaving, uh, gives his notice and leaves. So... Roma's on his way out, and uh, Hercules ends up leaving a few months later and then eventually shows up in WCW as Super Invader.
0: One thing um, I, that, I, that I picked up on, once again, we talk about the greatness that is Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Braid Heenan, uh, is just uh, Gorilla is and has been talking about purse money like throughout a lot of the matches. and he it, It's one little subtle thing that I, I don't think they use enough of is the reasoning why they would want to win this match is really for you know getting that purse money um getting their cut taking the pinfall instead of a count out to retain their titles they get more of the purse money that way so uh you know we we talk about things that they can adapt from you know mma and ufc um that is one thing. i so, uh, you know uh if a fighter in the ufc wins they get more money um you know they double their money usually and and it's one of the things that i wish they would give you know matches that don't have a feud um that are thrown together i think that's an easy way to you know to to motivate um people and get them more invested into the match
2: well like uh even AEW with their their win loss records it at least gives some reason like the better win loss record you have in theory you'll get more title shots so maybe guy a versus guy b doesn't matter but for one of you, it's going to be another victory and it's going to make you look better in the standings. Um, one of the things I o- always remember, here's a shoot interview with Raven, just talking about booking and everything. And he makes a good point. There's three reasons for someone to fight for two men to fight a title slash money, a girl or revenge. If it doesn't have to do with one of those, why are they
0: fighting? Well, sometimes you, you know, you could spill coffee on someone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought
2: you were talking fat. about I thought you were talking about you putting salt in my coffee.
0: <laughs> well, that's a great story. Why did you tell that story, Kevin? What a great story. <laughs> if you ever want to see Kevin uh, throw spit coffee on himself, just put a bunch of salt in his coffee. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, we're at Denny's, I get up to the bathroom, unbeknownst to me, you're dumping like entire contents of the salt shaker into my coffee, stirring up so I don't notice. Apparently some random table of people we didn't know is watching you do it the whole time, and then all invested in seeing how this turns out. Yeah, I come back, take a giant sip of the coffee, and completely lose my mind over the taste of it, and I cannot function properly because the response would be to spit it back in the cup. But I can't think straight because this taste is so disgusting. So I spit it into a napkin, which, of course, cannot hold all this. And now it just goes all over me. You're losing it. Thankfully, this is before cell phones because that video would be everywhere now.
0: <laughs> Man, I wish I had a cell phone back. No, I don't, actually. <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, how about some stories? Yes, and some stories. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just imagine. You know what? Cell phone would have been good to see what Hercules was doing during this. During the there season. you go. There you
1: go. <laughs> All right?
0: So, um, yeah. Why don't we move on? Uh, we got Mean Gene um, talking with uh, the British Bulldog, um, and then of course we get uh, Lord Alfred Hayes in the. Uh, he's coming coming on uh, TV. He's uh, in the ring, um, and that leads to our Barbarian versus Bulldog match. Uh, what did you guys think of the uh, interview with Mean Gene? Just kind of standard, in my opinion. Yep. And then going right into the uh, Bulldog versus Barbarian match.
1: T- typical interview again, trying to put over the uh, the match that he's going to have with the Barbarian. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes gets introduced uh, to the crowd as the guest ring announcer, uh, but Alfred Hayes' cadence in introducing both of the guys—it just—it seems so <laughs> off. Seems just very, very delayed. Um, The couple of notes that I have for this particular match. um, Towards the beginning of the match, uh, Bulldog's running the ropes or was thrown against the ropes by Barbarian. Barbarian ducks down. Bulldog does like this quick, huge, like snap uh sunset flip over the top of barbarian it's just a big guy his size just how quick and how loud it was when he hit the canvas it was just super super impressive uh barbarian hits that mafia kick uh to bulldog when bulldog's running the ropes again and uh to knock bulldog out of the ring so that they can brawl outside of the ring Uh, We eventually come back to Bulldog wrestling and during a rest hold or a chin lock. We see a close-up, Bulldog's nose is kind of busted open, and even Monsoon makes reference to that. I guess it's it's just, again, current modern times, whenever we see blood, we're so accustomed to the referees going into their pockets, getting their gloves out, getting putting gloves on, or, or a trainer possibly checking them out. We, we don't see that at all during this match. This is like WWF 1991, so it's kind of like refreshing to not see that. Um, this is the only match on the entire card where uh, a dedicated finishing maneuver is attempted and actually his successful uh, Bulldog catches uh, Barbarian, gets him up for the big old power slam and does the running power slam to the center of the ring. One, two, three. Danny Davis counts the shoulders down and boom, Bulldog is over huge with the crowd because it's his home crowd.
2: I, and I mean, clearly that's why he gets the the clean win for the face here in this match is because it's Bulldog and considering the results of the rest of the card it makes it stand out and look even more impressive Uh, speaking of looking impressive Barbarian is freaking massive like what a huge person he is and I I didn't even realize but I mean like we are saying before steroid trials coming this guy's on my list right away (laughs) like you're clearly on the gas you are huge Bulldog is so fast here And so good. I know educator is putting over a lot of his work during our, our current in your house series. I think he looks faster here. And I think in some ways he looks more impressive because it seems like he's doing all the work in the match. Whereas the ones we've seen, it's been like Brett's doing a lot of the work or, you know, it's been more his opponent than bulldog himself. I I was just amazed by, and he's still huge too. Like, Uh, uh, treats you'd probably be able to answer this more than my ignorant sports self can but between the size and the speed this seems like someone the nfl would want immediately
0: yeah i mean he probably would have been a linebacker um defensive end, probably more of a linebacker because i think like a d end is a little bigger like taller uh but he would have been yeah a linebacker i would say
2: but this seems like someone that... uh What the heck's it called when you have everyone just go out there and showcase how fast and strong they are that NXT does sometimes now? The Combine? The Combine. Yeah. This seems like someone that would show up at the Combine and you'd be like, oh, wow. We, uh, like, we had no idea this guy was that strong that fast. You know, and then he showcased more. Um, I mean, good good work bulldogs doing everything he's supposed to do you know barbarian as as an adult appreciating some of these roles of people like barbarian more he's supposed he's supposed to go out there you know he's gonna lose you know that he's gonna get beaten but it's gonna look like the person earned it it's gonna look like it was a fight and at least that would matter you're not having a squash match you're not beating someone that doesn't matter even though Barbarian's not, you know, main event picture, you know, decorated champion, you know, anything like that, it at least looks like someone that matters. Uh, for, for you two, less so for me, it's like having a boss battle in a video game, and it at least looks like, oh, of course this guy's the boss of this level. Of course he is. he's not the main boss, but freaking look at him. Of course I gotta defeat this guy now.
0: Yeah, no, it's just one thing that I've noticed when going back and watching these, especially when going back and watching old WrestleManias, um, old Summer Slams, you know, whatever it is, whenever I see the Barbarian, I'm I'm very impressed, like you said, kind of like with those role players, you don't realize that growing up when you're a kid because you're, you know, you want your conquering hero. And that's really who you're looking for. But, you know, that story can't be told without these guys um, that are serviceable. Um, Some would say they're a good hand. Um, sort of thing so
2: well i mean you you acted in high school and i did too not everyone gets to be the lead in the play but all these minor characters are needed to progress the storyline
0: no absolutely um no he's just been yeah just kind of and he plays that role well um you know and like you said he's huge he's the i mean he's bigger than bulldog which is crazy to think about because bulldog is
2: huge <laughs> it's such such a cool look too with the fur and the antlers and everything too
0: yeah yeah you could almost see this still around like this gimmick the barbarian gimmick um because it's not over the top it's not cartoony i don't think at least it's not
2: too far away from vikings
0: yeah well it's not i wonder if he away. i wonder if barbarian could play basketball <laughs> <laughs>
2: could he throw an axe
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah so Um, yeah. So then after that, we have Lord Alfred Hayes who joins, um, Gorilla and Bobby the Brain Heenan in the booth. And then we go into our main event, which is our battle Royal. And why don't we throw it to the educator to list off the people in the battle Royal.
1: All right. So the battle Royal participants actually in the order in which they were introduced. And um, each of these guys, pretty much they got their own individualized entrance with their theme music, bringing them back out to the ring. So we have the Texas tornado, Carrie Von Erich, who was in a losing effort earlier in the night. We have earthquake who had won his singles match. We have Typhoon with Earthquake, who was not in a match at all. So this is the first time we're seeing Typhoon tonight. We have Tito Santana, who had lost earlier to Ric Flair. We have The Mountie, who had won his match earlier against Texas Tornado. Uh, we have both The Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, who are on a losing end with their match against the Nasty Boys. Uh, we had just seen The Barbarian. He's now back out here. Uh, The Big Boss Man. We have Power and Glory, Hercules and Paul Roma. We have Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We have the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags. We have Ric Flair. We have the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal. We have the British Bulldog, who had just won his match prior to this Battle Royal. Uh, We see The Undertaker. And then we have Roddy Roddy Piper, who we are now seeing, besides the interview, for the first time in terms of ring action. So these are the 20 participants. We have 10 faces and 10 heels, actually, so it's, it's an even divide. And uh, Lord Alfred Hayes explains to us, again, the idea that the winner of this particular battle royal is going to win the prestigious royal uh, semivar trophy. Which luckily Lord Alfred Hayes explains to us is a Russian tea urn. So perhaps we will have a celebratory drink of uh, Russian (laughs) tea for this, uh, uh, you know, London, England wrestling show.
2: The Chance USA.
0: Correct. What do you? What did you? win this battle royal? Battle royals are so hard to cover just because a lot of stuff goes on. I mean, there wasn't really any big spots, or I think nowadays more so um, than back then. We think of battle royal, we think of certain spots, and they they set up things. Whereas back in the day, they would just throw everyone in the ring and then and then throw things out. Um, when you get down to the final uh, four, do you have the final four written down? Who it is there, educator?
1: Uh, Yeah, the final four. So we end up having uh, the British Bulldog. We have the Mountie. We have uh, the Typhoon. And then we have, let's see, uh, the Big Boss Man. Those were the final four. So
0: you have two faces, two heels, right? Right. Boss Boss Man gets thrown out first. So then your final three is Typhoon. Um, Mountie and Bulldog now my question when I watched this was why weren't the final three why wasn't it the national (laughs) the natural disasters versus the Bulldog which made more sense to me than having the Mountie in there
1: yeah it would have made more sense him uh, overcoming even a greater set of odds and given the fact that we end up seeing the uh, uh, the save being made for uh, at the very very end once the battle royal is over
2: I mean, maybe yeah. with earthquake size he couldn't have a long battle royal match and his long fifteen minute match earlier. But Typhoon is in that spot because he's fresh and didn't have a match he, earlier. Yeah,
0: he
1: he didn't have a match earlier, so he is fresh.
0: Um, anything stick out from the from the battle royal? Um, I know um you were kind of covering it the educator why don't you um if there is anything any spots or, or anything really stick out i know we talked
1: about how loose the ropes were um for the most part there were pretty much only three major types of eliminations where you end up having either uh, a wrestler sidesteps a charging wrestler and ends up either pulling the ropes down or, or you know kind of tossing the guy over the top rope um, you have the wrestler doing a back body drop of his opponent over the top rope and onto the floor, or you have someone that does like one of the monsters in the match, the bigger guys, the earthquakes, the typhoons, uh, they pick up the guy like a body slam and actually kind of body slam or throw them over the top row. Um, the only like weird, I guess, what, uh, elimination would have been the very first one in the match i don't know if you guys picked up on it hercules he he kind of like eliminated himself he almost kind of like macho man randy savage style like jumped over the top rope for whatever reason ran down to get a chair to throw into the ring um to get go after hawk from the legion of doom so i don't know if there was like any legit heat between those guys from their match earlier in the night but if they were just battling kind of like punching back and forth with each other and then all of a sudden you just see hercules just jump over the top rope to go get a chair and attempt to throw it in and danny davis is like no you're out you're done you're completely gone so um Just interesting order in terms of back and forth for the most part. It was pretty much uh, a face is eliminated, then a heel is eliminated, another face is eliminated, a heel is eliminated. Uh, The Roddy Piper elimination, you had a couple of guys that ended up getting yanked out uh, from the ring after uh, their opponent ended up yanking them out after they'd already been eliminated. So Undertaker ended up getting eliminated by Roddy Piper. And then Undertaker jumps on the ring a- apron and yanks Piper down over the top rope. Piper's trying to get back into the ring, and the referees you know, tell him, nope, you're out. Um, did you guys notice who was kind of playing the Jerry Lawler spot that we're used to from that one Rumble? I believe it was Rumble 96, the guy that spent more time out of the ring hiding and cowering than in the ring. Mountie ended up spending probably more time out of the ring in this battle royal trying to avoid conflict and then would get the, you know, scurry back in and get the cheap shot uh, there. So um, entertaining match for what it was. Um, The finish with uh, the British Bulldog essentially eliminating Typhoon does a back body drop um on to Typhoon to get him out of the ring over the top rope on the floor. And then you got Typhoon that goes back in and uh starts beating down on the Bulldog who's exhausted from not only winning the battle royal but also he had just had his own match, his singles match with Barbarian prior. Um, Then we have Earthquake that does a run-in as well. And so there's a double team of the Natural Disasters beating up on the Bulldog. Then you hear the crowd erupt because you're expecting a save, a run-in. And, you know, maybe you'd be thinking, like, the Legion of Doom would be coming back to save the day. Um, But unsuspectingly, and this was his last appearance in the WWF, um, Andre the Giant ended up doing a kind of more of a walk-in kind of deal, Uh, came down ringside. Um, I I was concerned for his safety at this point. Andre the Giant was certainly um, on his last legs in terms of his career, Um, notably before that. He was a second-hander assistant to the Bushwhackers against the natural disasters at SummerSlam. And there was a feud where Andre was supposedly coming back to wrestling and he was entertaining all of the different heel managers to who was going to be his new manager uh, for him. And this was um, when it was revealed that Jimmy Hart was the last vine to get his services and he ended up saying no to Jimmy Hart. Earthquake attacked Um Andre the Giant and after that attack that was the last time I had ever seen Andre the Giant not with some kind of crutches or assisted devices um, at that summer slam Andre was going to the ring with two uh, uh, kind of like crutches to help him move around during this walk in a little bit faster but I mean certainly he had limited mobility even Monsoon had made comment too that he is just coming off of having knee surgery. Um, but he had one uh, one crutch to assist him and he ended up doing a couple of chops and then smacking both Earthquake and Typhoon with that crutch and then kind of like a high-five handshake to Bulldog, who celebrated in the ring uh, raising the prestigious uh, Samovar Trophy over his head, only to have a part of it fall <laughs> off and break into the ring, so it was a little awkward finale and finish, but uh, congratulations to the Bulldog for winning the winning the, the match.
2: It's uh, geez, to go back to the <clears throat> combatants coming out for the match, they have very unique camera angles for all the entrances, and it makes everyone look huge. Like even uh, a quote average size wrestler looks huge, and then the bigger guys look even bigger it's it's just really well done to make everyone you know look like superstars uh gentlemen out of the 20 men in this match and granted it is near 30 years
0: old how many are dead oh lord okay let's go through it <laughs> let's play a fun little game called dead or alive
2: uh, and these guys go... were uh, these guys were not old during this which means they wouldn't have been that
1: old today are you counting are you counting andre no i'm counting no. the 20, okay, 20. official
0: so, Hercules, dead or alive? Dead. Kerry Von Erick? Dead. Brian Knobs? Alive. Janetti? Alive. Probably in jail somewhere, but alive. <laughs> Barbarian? Alive. Tito Santana? Alive. Hawk? Dead. Uh, Sags? Alive. Michaels? Alive. Duggan? Alive. Earthquake? Unfortunately,
1: okay. passed away.
0: Uh, of course, Flair is alive. Roma. Alive. Uh, Animal. Is alive. alive. Taker is alive. Piper.
1: I passed away.
0: Big Boss Man.
1: I passed away.
0: And then you got Mounty. Typhoon. Alive. And Bulldog. Dad. There's seven. So,
2: yeah. Seven out of 20. One third. Crazy. That's just, yeah. Um,
0: but That doesn't include the announcers
2: the announcers and Andre and it's you say what you will about WWF WWE Vince McMahon dark side of the ring all that stuff but I really feel there's certain things in place now that we won't see a massive amount of deaths of people in their 40s again I'm hoping it's, it, it seems like it's been better I'll say Um. Going back to the four people left in the ring, and I'd forgotten this, but it's in my notes. I think Earthquake takes a bad bump in this match, and that's why he's not in the last four, because he, he wanted out, he had to go get checked out, but he was feeling okay enough for the run-in at the end. Earthquake and Hacksaw are in a corner, Earthquake dives at Hacksaw, he, Hacksaw moves, and Earthquake goes over and hits the ring post pretty hard, and then he kind of like falls back on himself. And he really seems out of it. It seems like he does not know where he is. There's a... Something else happens after... Um, Someone comes into the ring or is eliminated or whatever. And Hacksaw is obviously protecting Earthquake and keeping him off to the side while it happens. And then Quake's eliminated shortly thereafter. So I really think he took a bad bump, screwed himself up, and then, you know five, ten minutes later, however long it was for the match to end a Natural Disasters to do the beatdown on Bulldog. He was feeling better, but he had to get out in that moment.
1: Yeah, Earthquake's elimination ends up uh, as the result. Duggan hits Earthquake with a 2 by 4 and Quake goes over the top rope, but is like on the apron, straddling the apron and holding on by one arm, and then Animal does like this sliding drop kick to knock him out of the ring and eliminate him.
2: Yeah, it just... There, there's some real nasty... Hit right beforehand, so I I think he just got his bell rung for a bit and was like, I'm out. Um, Andre coming out, if Andre was like, Hey, I want to be a part of this, get one last check, say goodbye to fans, maybe he was already back in France, I don't know. That's one thing, but if they called him up and said, Hey, we know you can't walk, but we we would really like you to be a part of this this show, it kind of hurts. Like, there, he should not have been out there. And, and
1: especially with the entrance and the five steps that he you know he had to like hurry down in order to do his run-in save yeah i mean it was just it, it was unnecessary i guess i mean honestly there, it there, may be I mean, what to the natural disasters versus andre the giant feud was there going to be i mean andre wasn't coming back there was no way no, it may have been better
2: if, like, he was sitting front row as a special guest, right? And got up during the beatdown. But he was you taking your sweet time to get him there, get him situated. He's got less time, less space. He's got to move, like, just protect him. And, and not only because he's a giant with this disease that's putting him in horrible pain. He's coming off of surgery. He doesn't have much time left. But just to protect his legacy too have him still look like a monster. He's been attacked on camera. You could still have him use the cane and not look weak. But him coming out, you just feel sad for him. And I think his only other TV appearance is he showed up at a WCW Clash of the Champions.
1: Yeah, like about of yeah, about a year later. Yeah, about a year later, 92, when they did a Clash of the Champions uh, at Center Stage. Now, yeah. is
2: this in the SummerSlam appearance because of him making the appearance at in, uh, Herb Abrams UWF? So
1: he makes that appearance to Herb Abrams, UWF. And then all of a sudden he's contacted about a return and that's what set up the angle. Andre, the giant's coming back. And then the five heel, um, five heel managers are all trying to get his services. He spanks Sherry Martel. He shoves Fuji's face in it like a cake. Um, he throws, I think slick into the trunk of a car that slick was trying to give him. Um, I forgot who the fifth one was, but then Jimmy Hart was the last one. And Jimmy, it was a live interview in the ring. Jimmy Hart had come to the ring. And I at the time, they were going to tease that it was going to be Andre and Quake tagging up. Because Typhoon hadn't turned yet. Um, this was pre that SummerSlam. Oh, and then um, when Andre the Giant said no, um, he g- grabs Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart g- drops the megaphone. Earthquake picks up the megaphone and does, like, a chop block to the back of Andre's leg, and then that just clips Andre and knocks him down, and then Andre just kept – or Earthquake just kept doing elbow drops to, like, Andre's leg kind of deal. So, And then after that, you never saw Andre the Giant again. I don't remember ever seeing him on tv or doing any appearance without any kind of crutch or assistive uh device he andre walked to the ring to do the angle and then he left and i, I know i don't ever remember seeing him without crutches or a cane ever again
2: yeah it, it just ends up looking sad yes um the the Salazar or whatever trophy Do we think for a second this was anything that actually had value to it or it was just like a tin thing that they found at a store and maybe sprayed some polish on it, make it look even nicer?
1: I have no idea. It would be interesting to see if Bulldog, I mean, if it was a legit thing that like Bulldog kept at all.
2: If if anything, it'd probably be in WWF's warehouse.
1: Oh, right. Probably could be in a warehouse, right? So the WrestleMania 4 trophy that Bad News Brown destroyed. No. Or heart destroyed, it was bad news brown So, who
2: knows But it's clear it's to get Bulldog Over for the hometown crowd And, you know, I mean, this is this is Kuwaiti Cup, this is, you know, Saudi Arabia Battle Royal, like it doesn't mean Anything for your week to week And your, you know, regular WWFE storyline, it's just Yep, for this crowd
1: I agree
0: Yeah, anything else um, that stands out From the, uh, from the event Itself um, one thing that I find very interesting um, is the VHS cover of this. Of course, Bulldog is the star of the event, but your VHS cover has the Legion of Doom on the, on it, just to kind of show you the popularity. Uh, and of course, you know the, when it comes out on VHS, how long of a turnaround was it in the early '90s, Kevin? I know you're the uh, the godfather of dead media. Um, how? Uh, <laughs> How long was the turnaround for a VHS to come out after a movie or an event?
1: I I would say your average is like six months. I would say about six months as well. Because I remember watching like WrestleMania 3 or WrestleMania 4 maybe like a few months before Survivor Series was going to be happening, Um, you know, when those finally came out, so...
2: Yeah, because a a lot of the movies, you would have to wait until they weren't in the theater at all. Right. And then it was months after that. uh, And some of the times these releases were purposely, you know, staggered. Oh, we can't have, you know, multiple big releases the same week. That's going to split our audience that we're going for to either rent them or buy them. And also like, oh, this needs to be the big summer one. This needs to be the Halloween timed release. This needs to be the Easter timed release. Yeah, you because know, you, I mean, even just you have to wait for everyone that's going to watch it. Pay-per-views would replay a couple times. Then you need to get it somewhere, mass-produce all of these, put them up available to order. For a lot of them, uh, in the early days of VHS, they weren't mass-produced. Go and buy in store for twenty bucks. They were hundred bucks at your video rental stores. So you need to wait and get the orders in, see what your print run's going to be. All that stuff. It takes a while to get going.
0: Yeah, just kind of interesting to cover there. A question for you guys. How much would you pay for a VHS of this right now? Oh, I should have looked that up. Because I'm on eBay currently, and they have a copy of this on eBay. All
2: right. Now, I will say pre it being available on WWE Network is probably a lot higher. So, like, two or three years ago, I'm sure it was a lot higher to buy it. Right now, I'm going to say 50
1: Okay. What do you Uh, think? 25 maybe 30 bucks
0: currently seven dollars and (laughs) 30 cents but what kills it is the shipping and handling how much you're getting it from you're getting it from the uk so it's 33 dollars there you go um and just uh, uh, one thing about about the vhs is it's really advertising the tag team match the -the over-the-top battle royal and rick flair's wwf uk debut
1: uk debut that's right
0: It also comes with another, they have another one called uh, UK Rampage, which is another VHS. I'm kind of curious. I'm I'm wondering how different the VHS is from the WWE Network version
1: of this. Don't know. There is another UK show, and I believe it happened at Royal Albert Hall, because I do remember a similar, like the entrance with the steps and all that. It was, there was a battle royal, and Undertaker and Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant and his singlet, were in the same ring at the same time. And what is known for uh, this other UK, I'm wondering if it's at Rampage, it is I believe it is Undertaker's first loss. He actually lost clean to Tito Santana, who hit him with a flying forearm that wasn't expected. And the crowd went absolutely nuts when Tito won. So as always, we got to decide, guys,
0: is there a match that sticks out? What was your favorite match on uh, the event? I think I know what Kevin's is, uh, but I'm not sure what Matt's is. So Educator, what was your favorite match at the, of the night? What's the best match on the card, do you think?
1: Best, uh, probably just because of the person I like the battle Royal just because of the personalities and everybody there being in the show. and Piper, you know, you get to see Piper and some of his goofy shenanigans in the match, Um, him beginning to stir the pot with his feud with Ric Flair um, in terms of, yeah, I, w- I would go with just the battle Royal. That would be my favorite.
0: I really enjoyed the Bulldog Barbarian match. I thought that was a fun match. Crowd was into it. Um, I'm going to guess, though, that Kevin Hellions liked the boss man <laughs> versus Earthquake match.
2: It, it's honestly, it's it's between that or uh, Nasty Boys and Rockers.
0: Um,
1: I would go with the that, that match as well, the Nasty Boys Rocker. Rockers. It's just that finish. And, you know, they end up setting up. I mean, Michaels does that maneuver where you kind of, Giannetti hits the ropes and Michaels kind of press slams uh Gennetti up into the air and drops him down for the big splash. They almost kind of missed that maneuver and then the whole timing thing was off with with Jimmy Hart and dropping the megaphone and all that. But I mean that was a fun it was an okay opener, but it wasn't one of the the finish what really threw me off on that one.
2: Yeah. I and you're right. I actually really liked Earthquake Big Boss Man. I've just really liked that match. A lot of fun and one one of the cleaner matches on the whole card.
0: Right. Okay, and then finally, where do you guys rank this in matches or events you have never seen from the UK before? I have this number <laughs> one.
2: Uh, I have this first day and last.
0: All right, good job. It could be both. It could be both. We we can do insurrection next. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Insurrection is next. Um, thank you guys very much. I think that's going to conclude it for this special edition of the House Show uh, Educator. Anything you would like to say before uh, taking off here tonight?
1: As always, I'd like to thank uh, the fans that are listening to our show. I want to say thank you to the Retro Network uh, for hosting our podcast. For those of you that are listening, if you have not done so, please, please, please uh, take a peek at their website. Like, take a look at all of their offerings. They have a lot of great content up there uh, that I'm sh- certainly going to pique your interest, whether it be wrestling or other 80s, 90s nostalgia. Yeah, and I'm going to say, of course, this is
0: Matty Treats. You can follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. You know, uh, Retro Network, congratulations on being one year old. Uh, it's a feat. Um, you guys are doing, uh, God's work. Uh, literally great, great stuff. Like Matt said, every, every, um, day. And, uh, thank you to the listener that suggested we watch this because this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the event a lot. So, um, and then, uh, Kevin Hellions, why don't you take us home?
2: All right. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. Thank you to my two co-hosts here. You can find my personal blog and social media is at MassLibrary or MassLibrary.com. And you can find The House Show across social media at TRNHouseShow. There is a Facebook page, an Instagram, and a Twitter. You can also contact us now, TRNHouseShow at gmail.com questions comments suggestions anything that you would like and uh we'll we'll at least read it seriously i can guarantee that much so uh i would like to thank both of you and i'm gonna go onto uh ebay and uh put up my uh copy of the trophy slightly damaged